0: Welcome to Play for Keeps, a presentation of Ashland New Plays Festival. This play is the property of the playwright, who reserves all rights to its use. This recording is the property of Ashland New Plays Festival, Inc., which reserves all rights to its use. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Pankhurst. Freedom or Death, a one-woman play written and performed by Janine Grisard. The Setting, a London courtroom and Emmeline Pankhurst's apartment in Paris, 1913. A Performance Note, when Emmeline approaches her lectern, she is quoting from her well-known speeches. Act One, Emmeline Pankhurst appears in a pool of light in court. She stands behind a waist-high prisoner dock railing. Evelyn Pankhurst, your offences are grievous against the laws of England. You have been found guilty of conspiracy.
0: Have you anything to say before sentence is passed?
2: Your Lordship and gentlemen of the jury, Over one thousand women have gone to prison in the course of this agitation and have come out weakened in body but not in spirit. I come to stand my trial from the bedside of one such woman, my daughter, Sylvia. She has been on hunger strike in prison. She has submitted herself for more than five weeks to the horrific ordeal of feeding by force, and she is so weak she cannot get out of her bed. And I say to you, gentlemen of the jury, that is the kind of punishment you are inflicting upon me or any other woman who may be brought before you. I ask you if you are prepared to send an incalculable number of women to prison, if you are prepared to go on doing it indefinitely, because that is what is going to happen. This is the only way in which we can win power to alter what for us are intolerable conditions, absolutely intolerable conditions. Only this morning, information was brought to me that there is, in London, an organized sexual traffic, not only in women of full age, but in little children. They are being purchased, they are being entrapped, and they are being trained to minister to the vicious pleasures of persons in higher positions of life. These are the dreadful facts that have made us women determined to face everything. To see this thing out to the end, let it cost us what it may. And if you convict me, gentlemen, I say to you that no matter the sentence, I shall not submit to it. From the moment I leave this court, I shall refuse to eat food. I shall join the women who are already on hunger strike, and I shall come out of prison dead or alive at the earliest possible moment, and
0: once out, I shall enter into this fight again.
2: You know that I should not be here. I should not break one single law if I had the rights that you possess. If I had a share in electing those who make the laws I must obey, if I had a voice in controlling the taxes I am called to pay, I should not be standing here. I break the law from no selfish motive, neither have any of the other women who have gone through this court like sheep to the slaughter. They seriously believe that the welfare of humanity demands this sacrifice even to their lives because they know the horrible evils which are ravaging our civilization will never be removed until women get the vote. We offer ourselves as sacrifices, just as your forefathers did in the past in the cause of liberty. And I ask you, as human beings, have you the right to condemn another human being to death? I put this responsibility upon you, my lord, and all of you as citizens. What are you going to do to end this intolerable situation?
0: Offender.
1: She steps away from the prisoner dock and moves into the sitting room of her flat in Paris, removing her cape and gloves.
2: I was taken to Holloway Prison to begin the ordeal, all too familiar that I had passed through before, along with so many women, in great anguish of mind and body. "'but I knew in my heart the movement was behind me. "'When I received this unjust sentence, "'the courtroom erupted into a pandemonium of protest. "'What followed from my imprisonment "'was the greatest revolutionary outbreak in 80 years.' From one end of the island to the other, the beacons of the women's revolution blazed night and day in a guerrilla war waged against the liberal government of free England.
0: But alone in my cell, I knew nothing of this. It was torture for nine
2: terrible days, each one longer and more miserable than the last. Towards the end, I was mercifully half-unconscious of my surroundings. A curious indifference overtook me from the hunger strike until I was released, just temporarily, on the tenth
0: day to recover my health. That was six months ago, April
2: 1913. Of course, I would never willingly return to prison, So for months, the police and I played our wretched game of chase until I was able to escape here to Paris and join Christabel. She is my eldest daughter and our chief strategist. Thankfully, she has been living here while the rest of us have been in and out of prison. Paris is the new base of operations for my organization, the Women's Social and Political Union. Oh, we use the initials.
0: WSPU. Uh, oh dear, just look. This flat feels as small as a prison. Christabel
2: insisted on a building with electricity. We must take a stand for progress, Mamma.
1: Emmeline turns on the electric lamp.
2: This little suite was the only thing available near hers. I do hate small rooms. I've tried to brighten it.
1: She adjusts a vase of flowers.
2: Look at you all. I am so grateful you've been able to join me. Next week, I sail to New York for my fourth lecture tour, and I've asked you here, my future friends in America, because I need your help. I'd I'd like to try out some new thoughts on you, because, you see, the speech I'm to give must be the greatest of my life. It must encapsulate the whole of our struggle and everything we stand for. And it will be my first address of any length since the government's attempts to silence the WSPU. They've closed our meetings and our newspaper. We have been under armed siege for 19 months ever since the collapse of the third and final suffrage bill. That heartbreaking disappointment was the last legislative attempt by our allies in Parliament to pass a bill drafted by the membership of all party factions together. Oh, they were together, all right. United in their terror of a Tory takeover if women got the vote. Observe, I would remind the honourable members of the House that however legitimate the idea of women voting may be, the practical effect of creating a new class of voters
0: would be to return the country to conservative rule. It must not be. Our bill was doomed again.
2: Well, I have given God knows how many speeches, perhaps a thousand, but this one is different. The government has determined to crush our militancy at all cost, and we women have suffered casualties. The newspapers perpetuate grave misunderstandings about the purpose of our militant attacks on property. What's needed is a clear argument recounting what is at stake in our women's civil war and why revolution has become the only way. This is about the fate of our species. We are on the greatest mission the world has ever known, to free half the human race, the women, and through that freedom to save the rest. (laughs) If only they would let us. Now, now that, that right there, you see, that is the
0: central issue which occupies my... uh, oh, uh, Oh, I'm a bit dizzy. She sits. Forgive me. I have not yet recovered my strength. Christabel would have me
2: rest and read a novel. But I must not dally. There is too much to say.
1: Emmeline picks up her manuscript.
2: I have been working mainly on this. It's a memoir. My own story. One day, when women occupy the world on equal terms with men, other histories of the militant movement will be written calmly considered, carefully analysed, not scribbled between skirmishes. But this account will convey the strenuousness and desperation of the conflict, and also something of the undreamed-of courage and fighting strength of women, who, having learned the joy of battle, lose all fear and continue their struggle up to and past the
0: gates of death. Never flinching at any step of the way. Never flinching at the gates of death. My sister. Our revolution has cost
2: the lives of many women. No one has been shot and no one executed. But hundreds have been beaten to within an inch of their lives by ruffs and the police. And the hunger strikes and forcible feeding has destroyed a dozen who would otherwise be alive
0: were it not for that torment. My dear younger sister, Mary Jane. Talented,
2: devoted to the cause and to me. She wanted to be an actress. But our father forbade it, although he was a great Shakespearean and owned a theatre. A gifted painter, too, but the idea of selling her work was squashed as disreputable to father's business position. So she fell into a miserable marriage. Happily, our revolution offered escape and renewed purpose for her gifts.
1: She holds up a framed drawing.
2: I treasure this sketch she did of me from our first thousand-member rally. Tragically, she did not live out her forties. The first woman martyr to the cause, they called her.
0: Killed nearly three years ago from the strain of forcible feeding. We had just
2: had Christmas dinner. The more joyous to celebrate her release from
0: Holloway Prison. Pass the peas. She left the table and dropped. I found her in the next room. Enough to make your brain burst. It did hers. She had an aneurysm. All I can do for her now is bear witness to her sacrifice.
2: I do not mention in these pages the deaths of my mother or my son, also three years ago.
0: Those griefs are private. But Mary gave her life for the world.
2: The Passion of Our Lord is called the greatest story ever told, and quite right. Our Saviour's mission is to the soul of humanity. This story is about saving the character of mankind by awakening the women to their own salvation. It is about freedom, and even the attempt. Simply the initiative to march, to speak, to write, to join in militancy has given tens of thousands of women their first taste of real
0: freedom. Do you know, millions of women and at least a million men, probably twice
2: that in England, support women's suffrage Yet in my darkest moments, I fear no one cares that this battle is raging. The cheapness of women's bodies. What does a woman's liberty matter when her body's integrity is routinely violated, treated as an object to be consumed and discarded, every bit as disposable to those in power as a boy on a battlefield? I learned these awful truths as a poor law guardian. It's a kind of social work. I was elected in my mid-thirties, a few years after my fifth child was born, Henry Francis.
0: Yes, he died. After Guardian, I
2: became Manchester Registrar of Births and Deaths. Oh, the stories I heard girls of 13 would come to my office to register the births of their babies. Illegitimate, of course. In many cases, I found the child's own father or some near-male relative was responsible for her state.
0: It tore my heart. There was nothing to be done. The
2: age of consent is supposed to be sixteen, but a girl of twelve can be married off with her parents' approval. And consider the legal position of the wife. A woman may toil to support her husband and children. She may work in the family business, build up their income, and at the end of a long life he can take every penny and walk away from her and their children, and she has no form of redress. He can also will it out of the family, leaving them destitute. They say a woman's place is in the home, yet she has no say in her children's residence nor their education, scholastic or religious. If a husband wishes them educated far away in an exotic land with exotic beliefs, she cannot prevent it. She has no rights. "'I'm sure if most women made a study of the marriage laws before they tied the knot, "'a great many would consider whether it was worth it. "'Can you wonder my daughters have refrained? "'And the injustice of English divorce laws and laws for sexual offence, "'they are the most backward in the civilised world.' My three-year sentence for conspiracy over property damage in a noble cause is longer than for a man who has violated a child. And so, when the question of our militancy is judged, I hope people will realize that the condition of our sex is so deplorable, it is our duty to break the law in order to call attention to the reasons why we do. You know, most people believe that suffragettes are sent to prison for militantly destroying property. Yet hundreds of women were arrested long before that tactic occurred to any of us. We began as loyal subjects, asking questions of our representatives through a time-honored tradition. But this act alone was too much. Christabel and our new beloved comrade Annie Kenney, were the first to be imprisoned eight years ago this week. The charge was obstruction, but the crime was daring to speak. Will the Liberal government, if returned to power, give votes to women? An election was coming in January. Christabel and Annie had waited through the party meeting and the remarks of MPs Sir Edward Grey and Winston Churchill until questions were invited. Holding aloft a little Votes for Women banner, they spoke courteously in turn. If the Liberal Party is returned to power, will they take steps to give votes for women? A babel of shouts erupted. "'Rough hands shoved them rudely to their seats. "'Catcalls sounded around the hall, "'and a meeting steward smashed his hat over Annie's face. "'Sir Edward ignored them, "'but the chief constable for Manchester left the platform, "'proposing the women write their question for the speaker. "'Will the Liberal government give votes to working women?' Signed, Annie Kenny, on behalf of the Women's Social and Political Union. Adding that as one of 96,000 organized women textile workers, she earnestly desired an answer. A hush quelled the hall as the chief ascended the platform and Sir Edward Grey read the question. Smiled, passed it to Churchill, who smiled and passed it to other officials. Smiles all around, but no answer was made. A lady on the platform tried to say something. Would the Honourable... But the meeting chairman moved for a vote to thank the speaker, with Mr. Churchill hastily seconding, thus having the meeting break up. Annie Kenney stood on her chair. Will the Liberal government give votes to women? The audience became a mob. They howled roared and shook their fists at the young woman who had dared to intrude upon a man's meeting. Annie was seized by the shoulders, and Christabel raised her arm to ward off the attack, but the mob struck her and scratched my poor girl until her sleeve was red with blood. I leaned over the balcony rail in horror as six men dragged them down the aisle, ever shouting, The question! The question! Answer the question! the liberal leaders sat silent and unmoved through this disgrace, their smiles gone. Flung into the street, clothes torn and hair disheveled, the girls staggered up to address the crowd about their treatment in a liberal meeting. I pushed my way down the gallery stairs, my heart pounding to catch them outside. What would happen next with a roused mob at their heels? They were arrested, thank goodness, within minutes before more injury could be done. Annie, for obstruction, and Christabel was further charged with assaulting the police. The trial was a farce. Christabel got straight to the point in an offensive that prophesied her future legal training. We cannot make an orderly protest because we lack the means whereby citizens may do such a thing. We have not a vote, and so long as we have not a vote, we must be disorderly. The judgment was a fine, or some days in prison. They chose the latter. I hurried to the waiting room. My dears, you have done everything that could be expected. I think you should let me pay your fines and take you home. Without waiting for Annie, my daughter exclaimed, Mother, if you pay my fine, I will never go home. (laughs) Before going to the meeting, Christabel had said, We will get our question answered, or we shall sleep in prison tonight. With such a flame in her heart for the cause, can you wonder
0: she would become our leader? Of course, the affair created a tremendous sensation, not only
2: in Manchester, but all over England. The press were almost unanimously bitter. Ignoring the perfectly well-established fact that men in every political meeting ask questions and demand answers of the speakers, the newspapers treated the action of the two girls as something unprecedented, outrageous, Fines and jail sentences were too good for such unsexed creatures. The discipline of the nursery would be far more appropriate. Smack! Newspapers now hinted that while they had previously been in favour of woman suffrage, they could no longer countenance
0: it. The Manchester incident had set the cause back irrevocably. This is how it set the cause back. Scores of people wrote to the papers
2: expressing sympathy with the women. We heard that Winston Churchill, nervous about his own political position in Manchester, had visited the jail where the girls were imprisoned and begged the governor, in vain, to allow him to pay their fines. Shrewd Winston. He does have a knack for knowing what is in the air before the storm
0: comes. No one knew then he would become so great a foe.
2: When the prisoners were released, they were given an immense welcome in Free Trade Hall, from which they had been ejected the week before. RWSPU received a large number of new members. Above all, women's suffrage had come alive again, from one end of Great Britain to the other. And there would be no more peace until the women's question was answered. Come what may, we
0: would be heard.
1: Emmeline sways, dizzy again.
0: Oh, Oh, I I beg your pardon. I must sit for a minute. Come what may. Indeed. How much more of the what may is the question
2: I am struggling with. The time is coming when I must make a decision about aggravating the effects of our tactics, especially upon ourselves. I call my speech freedom or death after Patrick Henry. Give me liberty or give me death.
0: But the situation is more complicated than that. I just don't know. I must rest my mind for a moment.
2: I almost forgot this.
1: Emily picks up a lace collar and continues her mending.
2: It's a collar for Christabel to wear tomorrow. Do you mind? I used to hate the mending. Would have the baby's nurse, Miss Jones, do it whenever possible. Now I find it blessedly calm. My mind jumps like those Mexican bean
0: things one sees at at the fair... This, the sewing, saved my life in prison. It was my first
2: time. I'd been moved to the hospital cells.
0: I have certain maladies that worsen in there. The cold, the wretched food, the
2: itchy garments are the least of it. You're confined alone with nothing to do. Desperate, I begged the wardress for some sewing and she kindly gave me a skirt to hem
0: and some coarse knitting. The cold was... Prison would only get worse. I love sewing now. And ironing too, when I can. Instant accomplishment. Uh, There... That's fixed. Dear Mary had no prison comfort. None of our women have. We are placed
2: in the second and third division as common criminals, not the first as political prisoners, where conditions are liberal, even luxurious. You can have your own furniture, books, food... Some years ago, Christabel, using her law degree in our defense, had got David Lloyd George and other members of cabinet to admit, unequivocally, from the witness stand, that our offenses are political. But still we are made to suffer like vandals and thieves. You see, to grant that our offenses are political would be to grant that our grievance is legitimate. Which would mean they would have to negotiate with us honorably, man to man, as it were. No more
0: tricks. And that Christabel swears they will never do. I wonder, is that assumption entirely valid? Has nothing changed for the better?
1: Emmeline moves to
0: her lectern. Well then. Shall we try out the speech? (laughs) You can't imagine how
2: terrified I used to be. Merely saying, "I I second the motion, was once too much for me. But when I wrote a paper about the shambles of the poor law system, I learned to find my voice at a regional conference. My oratorical style is described as non-technical, with sorrowful wrath and persuasive plea. (laughs) Let's see what you think. Ladies and gentlemen, I do not come to Hartford to advocate for woman suffrage. American suffragists can do that very well for themselves. Nor have I come to incite American suffragists to violence. I am here as a soldier. For whatever position the suffrage movement may occupy in the United States, in England it has become the subject of revolution and civil war, and I am here in order to explain what civil war is like when civil war is waged by women. Now first, I want you to understand the inevitableness of revolution and civil war when you reach a certain stage in the development of a community's life. If an Irish revolutionary had addressed this meeting, it would not be necessary to explain the need of revolution, beyond saying that the people of his country were denied, and by people meaning men, were denied the rights of self-government. But since I am a woman, it is necessary to explain. You see, we women have always had to make as part of our argument and urge upon men the fact, the very simple fact, that women are human beings. It is quite evident you do not all realize we are human beings or it would not be necessary to argue with you that women may, suffering from intolerable injustice, be driven to adopt revolutionary methods.
0: Uh, uh,
1: Oh, no. She scratches out a line.
0: No, no.
2: (laughs) The soldier has overtaken the diplomat. This goes too far, don't you think? I will have a receptive audience there, and I've just insulted the lot of them, declaring they doubt their wives and daughters.
0: Their very mothers are human beings. But they do doubt it, in a fundamental way. Since the first day when Christabel
2: was assaulted for asking a question in a public meeting— where men are never censured for interrupting, I knew that in this fight, standards of decency, commonplace between dissenting men, would not be afforded to us. We have not just raised political objections, we have dared to speak up at all. We have not only voiced our insistence upon having a voice, we have put our voices into action.
0: Deeds, not words. Many have been shocked at the severity of the reprisals against us.
2: I have not. Our demand for enfranchisement crossed the line, you see, into a demand for our own existence. And somehow I knew that threatened men would cross the line and
0: smite us when they could.
2: But the bullying is not what matters.
0: All those years of
2: working with the poor and the sickening helplessness I felt at their stories awakened in me a fire to prove that women's violation does not have to perpetuate forever. There was my morning question and my nightly prayer.
0: Show me today how best to fight. And yet a question
2: has been gnawing at me, growing louder and louder during my convalescence. I sense we've missed something in the conflict, something that goes far beyond gender roles, tradition, and I do think beyond the limits of feminist education. This crisis is escalating.
0: We have touched some nerve, some instinct, and the reaction is intransigent. Our male allies have such a look of
2: pity relaying the latest bitter news.
0: But there's a knowingness to the gaze, there's something deeply there which we have overlooked. Christabel would say I'm simply tired. There's nothing subtle about men's
2: obstinacy, Mama. (laughs) Oh, my dear. If only you knew the company of some loving men.
1: She picks up her late husband Richard's picture.
2: Did you know... I had the most wonderful marriage. Richard M. Pankhurst. No obstinacy there. You see, my development into an advocate of militancy was largely a sympathetic process. I have not personally suffered from the deprivations, the bitterness and sorrow which bring so many to a realization of social injustice. My childhood was protected by love and comfort. My parents were passionately liberal. They raised money for reforms, entertained abolitionists and suffragists. I helped. Mother made Uncle Tom's Cabin our bedtime story. How I would thrill at the tale of Eliza's race to freedom over the broken ice of the Ohio River the agonizing pursuit, and her final rescue at the hands of the old Quaker. Was I Eliza,
0: or was I the Quaker? The
2: Odyssey, too, was another favorite. Such adventure! But my greatest source of inspiration, I am never without it, is Thomas Carlyle's French Revolution. Naturally. I am born on Bastille Day. These romantic stories aroused in me an admiration for that fighting spirit and heroic sacrifice by which alone the soul of civilization is saved. And next, after that, for that gentler spirit
0: which is moved to mend the ravages of war. But. Deep down, I am foremost a soldier. From the moment I joined
2: this cause as a 14-year-old girl, I have conceived of myself
0: no other way. I am a woman. Warrior. Am I the first of my kind, outside of legend?
2: Certainly our pamphlets appeal to Joan of Arc.
0: Never surrender, we cry. We, English, burned her at the stake. Well, whatever
2: your awareness of our crusade, I'm sure you know we tried nonviolent means for decades, generations, in fact, through petitions, local measures, electing liberal champions, all the constitutional means of law-abiding taxpayers, only to be ignored as voteless persons. In contrast, a good many of the men in public office and sitting in cabinet right now have risen to prominence on the winds of violent reform and rebellion. Men in power say great societal change comes to those who fight for it. Men are enfranchised because they are willing to bear arms. Force is their foundation, and lacking force, women lack authority, and some even claim rights as such. Men tell us, They have learned to prove the greatness of their movements where citizens assemble in their tens of thousands. Power
0: belongs to the masses. Granted. Oh, we heard the lesson clearly.
2: Men got the vote because they were violent. Women did not get it. Because they were law-abiding.
1: She stands at the lectern.
2: For example, currently, the leader of the rebellion in Northern Ireland, his name is Carson, has advocated for civil war, urging the men of Ulster to drill at arms. He has made speeches in which he glories at having broken the law and challenges the government to arrest him. There has been considerable riot in the streets of Belfast, and lives even have been lost. But have you heard of this in the American newspapers? Have you heard loud condemnation from the English newspapers? No. No, because no one questions the right of those men in Ulster to resort to revolution if everything else fails. And while male leaders justify the shedding of blood, I have always said that nothing would bring me to claim we should destroy human life in the course of our women's agitation. I have always stopped short at property, at inanimate objects. Human life is sacred, and we respect human life. We even safeguard the animals. And so... We took our cue from an ancient English tradition. The argument of the broken window pane is the most valuable argument in modern
1: politics. Emmeline throws an imaginary rock toward the audience.
2: Crash! How are they going to persuade people they ought to have the vote by breaking their windows? Now forgive me, but that is not the point of our strategy. When damage is done to property, it is not done to convert people to woman suffrage at all. It is a practical, political means, the only means open to voteless persons, to bring about a particular political situation which can only be solved by giving women the vote. The methods of the Tea Party at Boston were no different. This civil war by women is not a hysterical tantrum, but is carefully and logically thought out. The public, shopkeepers and businessmen, have to be moved to compel the government to deal with the question of woman suffrage. There is an old proverb, You cannot rouse the Britisher unless you touch his pocket. And so, we have attacked the conveniences of modern life in order to make people realize that until women have the vote, things are going to get very uncomfortable. We did not begin militancy, however, until we had given the new government every chance to make the pledge we wanted. We rejoiced. Our bill would be read in Parliament. (laughs) Here's how that went. Prime Minister, are we to believe a suffrage reform bill is to be introduced by this government carrying an amendment for women? The work of Parliament is the Navy, diplomacy, the colonies, mining, what? And the finance that runs it all. Does that look like woman's work? You can't run an empire with a mine that passes the shopping pennies, what? Just so. What of the Liberal agenda, the old-age pension bill, the national insurance, Irish home rule? We cannot let the Tories drag us
0: backward. Ladies, think of the greater good. Women in government? That's absurd. Women can barely govern themselves.
2: The august Winston Churchill weighs in. I, for one, will not be henpecked into a question of such importance. Really? Really? I wrote to him, "'Dear Mr. Churchill, "'hearty congratulations on your engagement to Clementine, "'our sister suffragist. "'Having great hopes of your coming conversion, "'but you said you would not be henpecked. "'Nothing could induce me to vote for giving women the franchise. "'What a ridiculous tragedy!' if this strong government were to come to grief in this ignominious way and perish like Canaanite Sisera, at a woman's hand. Enough, gentlemen. It was evident the governing party, calling themselves liberal, were reactionary about women, hostile to women's suffrage, and as Christabel would say... They must be fought until they are conquered or driven from office. What conquering the government means is to have our enfranchisement enacted into law. We had already endured a three-year tug-of-war in the House before the Asquith Ministry came to power.
0: You see, no matter the vote count, A Prime Minister and Cabinet can stop any bill.
2: Such is Britain's veto. The conflict had become a contest of wills. Who would yield first, the women or the government? And how much destruction will it take? With the collapse of the final conciliation bill and the blockage of all constitutional means to freedom, we have smashed far more than windows. Telegraph lines, empty buildings, golf courses, pleasure gardens, ruined. One shopkeeper cried, Why did you break our windows? We have done nothing. The suffragette replied, It is because you have done nothing. Nothing to help your women customers win their rights that I have broken your windows. You see, there can be no impartiality
0: on the question of freedom. Not when this government commits assault. We are accused of violence and tried for conspiracy. Yet
2: our great friend and partner, Frederick Pethick Lawrence, standing trial beside us, said, it was not we who were guilty of conspiracy, but the government, and not the women who had incited violence, but the ministers of the Crown. Home Secretary Winston Churchill precipitated
0: the worst violence to date. I personally can never forgive him. Have you ever seen a battle? My first exposure was a film from the Boer War. A cavalry charge. Rifles, cannons. Devastating to see. Men
2: lined up at the beginning, and a minute and a half later, scores of bodies and horses lying dead in the moving picture frame. You can see them drop. I was attacked once on a campaign by an angry mob. In the thick of things, there's no sense of perspective, not like the cold eye of the camera. In terms of our battles with the government, one could almost run the same motion picture over and over. Year after year, The cycle moved like this. A suffrage bill would be debated. Usually, it would pass. Asquith's cabinet would veto. Thousands of women would march in protest, only to be stopped by the police. With each year, their resistance has become more violent in the attempt to crush our will. Using mounted police, for example, to trample us, to subdue us, But far from frightening us, more women arise in protest with each vile act. And for me, the worst was infamous Black Friday. Churchill ordered the police to block the Women's March on Parliament by aggressive action rather than mass arrests. Women were clubbed, choked, pushed to the ground and kicked, The struggle grew fiercer and more indecent by the minute. Women's arms were twisted, breasts pulled, skirts thrown over their heads, policemen's hands and batons assaulting their most private parts. The battle lasted six hours, with the press taking pictures. Bystanders tried to protect the women, and gentlemen demanded to know why they were being beaten rather than arrested. Only window breakers were detained and charged, as Churchill did not want the government's shame on Black Friday given in evidence. But there was no way to keep that disgrace out of the papers. The photographs were everywhere. Our citizens were horrified. Parliament was compelled to hold an inquiry. And why? because a picture is worth 10,000 words. Any record of a serious protest proves its value for generations to come.
0: A revolution rides upon the tide of witnesses. And today, witnesses are all we have. I thank you for being mine.
1: End of Act One Act Two The sitting room of her Paris flat. Emmeline has removed the jacket of her dress and enters with a book and a glass of wine.
2: Thank you for waiting for me. I I just went down to Christabel's to get a book for a quotation by John Stuart Mill. Ah, Here, the notion of a hard and fast line separating women's occupations and men's belongs to a bygone state of society. This is from his famous address in Parliament nearly 50 years ago as the first MP proposing woman suffrage. And Mill realized that the impediment was primal. I know there is an obscure feeling, a feeling which is ashamed to express itself openly that women have no right to care about anything except how they may be the most useful and devoted servants of some man. But I say this claim to confiscate the whole existence of one half of the species for the supposed convenience of the other appears to me, independently of
0: its injustice, particularly silly. There! Silly! Lacking
2: maturation. Mill was not only the greatest philosopher of the last era, he was a great liberal and a great friend to my husband Richard. Such a visionary gentleman. With this legacy to bask in, it is simply baffling that the Liberal government opposes our rights. Lloyd George claims he is not against the suffrage, and Winston Churchill even voted for it. Once. But in speeches his views change depending on his audience. Now, of course, he is an avowed enemy and I believe his own horrific mistake of the Black Friday outrage has hardened his resolve against women ever becoming parliamentarians, no matter how chagrined he is about the violence. Yet Winston, powerful as he is, holds not the sword of Damocles over our heads. All our trials All of the absurd repetitions of our petition turn upon the choices of one man. Herbert Henry Asquith, Prime Minister. I say choices, not judgment, for I believe Old Squiff, his colleagues use the word for drunk, has resolved against the political empowerment of women for personal motives self-defining motives, emotional, even passionate motives. And the irony is, the more one learns about him, the more uncanny the story becomes.
1: She picks up a men's top hat as Asquith.
2: Of all human troubles, the most hateful is to feel that you have the capacity of power, and yet you have no field to exercise it. The chilly, deadly depression of hope deferred. I sometimes think it is the most tragic thing in life. Are you familiar with Asquith? Philosopher, barrister, self-made gentleman from origins more humble than my own, a great social reformer and orator for our time. The capacity for power and no field to exercise it. We women couldn't possibly express our crisis better ourselves. If only he were...
1: She holds up the Pank-A-Squith board game.
2: Have you seen this? It's a board game we devise to raise awareness and funds. The Pank-A-Squith, though friends like to call it spankle Squiff. A suffragette tries to reach the House of Commons with Asquith's police barring the way. You see, even the public thinks it's me versus him. My first personal encounter with Asquith was in 1906, and it was the mirror of my daughter's scene the year before. Men interrupted Asquith. I waited my turn. I asked a suffrage question, phrased to relate to his topic of education reform, and got shouted down. Hall stewards dragged me to the street with so much haste and force I could not plant my feet to walk. Subsequent attempts by suffragettes to seek an audience with him were met by the police with baton strikes, choking, hair-pulling, and hauling off to jail. When the women struggled against these blows, they were charged with
0: assaulting the police. And so it has been for eight long years. Asquith
2: likes women. Oh, no, no, I'm quite serious. He genuinely likes women. Nay, loves them, some would say, far too much. He has five sons and two daughters, the eldest of whom, Violet, is not only his favourite, but, they say, his chief counsellor, possessed of a cracking mind. At any rate, she got Winston his post in her father's cabinet, and at one time they were so in love, Churchill nearly married her instead of Clementine.
1: Cheers. She drinks her wine.
2: Violet disapproves of us, at least our methods, for sure. But in her exalted position, she has never been womanized. More the role of favorite son than marriage barter. Asquith's wife, the noble born Margot, is also a trusted political adviser. And at the head of the harem stands. You'll never believe it. Violet's best friend, the unbridled, dark-beauty, Venetia Stanley. I am not gossiping. This is, in fact, a matter impregnating our policy at the WSPU, and some say we must act upon the knowledge. So, Venetia is 26, The PM is six years my elder, there's 35 between them, and when I say harem, I am speaking literally. There have been a dozen young women in the Prime Minister's net for many years. His obsession with Venetia is puzzled over in the highest society. Whilst young women are alternately procured as weekend party surrogates, for the absent beloved Venetia, or else shielded by their relatives from becoming so. Lady Morel bemoans that Squiff will cozy up to a woman on the sofa, take her hand, and make her feel his erected instrument under black trousers stylish clementine churchill advises higher necklines for dinners with the pm should one wish to avoid his dive down the cleavage until right god knows what bosh to nearly any clever young lady whom he can beguile now here's the hilarity he wants to know what they think the dissection of woman from the inside out is our prime
0: minister's hobby. Our cause, my cause, is a grave
2: threat to that power. The liberal, hypocritical Augustine litany. "O oh, Lord,
0: give women freedom but not just yet. I am a widow, a business owner,
2: a householder. I have not been personally slandered in this fight as a a female tool for appetite. But our younger women, poor women, and dare they hold off the marriage bond, our unwedded women have been so slandered as sluts or women for hire, and that votes are sought to empower their alleged promiscuity. Only promiscuous males could make such a charge.
0: Nevertheless, it would be
2: suicide for me, respectable as I am, to publicly protest the PM's sexual license and declare his opposition to suffrage stems from his... His preopic patriarchy. Society says that prerogative belongs to his wife Margot alone. Her devotion is as legendary as her disillusionment
0: and her fury. It was she who coined the term his little harem. Never have I had to suffer through such a moral compromise. Dr. Pankhurst was the most devoted. For eighteen years, too short,
2: too short, we loved with the most tender and
0: um, sensitive rapport. As you see, I adored him. My husband, Richard, faithful
2: and true, my loving comrade. The words of Walt Whitman sing from his grave.
0: I cannot fathom what so many women go through. It's terrifying. My husband's been gone 15 years but really not gone. He strengthens me, guides me, chides me. Every day, he says, you can do it. We'll win. Eventually. (sighs) Given the external
2: obstacles, any lack of unity within our own ranks is particularly troubling the WSPU campaigns for democracy, but we function like a regiment. We are, quite simply, a suffrage army in the field. Last year, we weathered the painful split with our dearest comrades, Mr. and Mrs. Pethick-Lawrence, because they could not countenance our aggravated militancy. They had created our newspaper, Votes for Women, and wanted to prosecute the government's escalation of the feeding torture in the public's eyes. Illustrations, personal accounts, photographs of prisoners. But that was too much victim posture for me. It made
0: us weak. Christabel wanted to blow things up. So we parted, cordially. Yet we hurt them badly. It is a grief that never leaves me. Now I am
2: frightened of another rift. My younger daughter Sylvia has strained relations with Christabel to the breaking point through her creation of the East London suffragettes and her convoluted intimacy with socialism and Labour. I admire Keir Hardie more than any man outside my late husband. Founder of the Labour Party and our greatest ally in Parliament, his support for our movement has been incalculable, and I personally love him dearly. But this organisation must not entwine with any political party.
0: We stand alone. Is our structure autocratic? Quite right. This is war,
2: waged with a purely volunteer army. If we quarreled over policy, our actions would be as ineffective as all the ladylike suffrage
0: groups that have gone before. Our troops understand the nature of the conflict with men in power.
2: But what is as bewildering as it is heartbreaking are the thousands of women who have joined anti-suffrage groups, organizations started by noble women for reasons best suited to their rarefied realm, having nothing to do with the real challenges of working mothers. You may ask... What could possibly induce any woman to side with privileged ladies in denying their sisters full citizenship? Well, our new policy of destroying post boxes, cutting telegraph wires and burning up vacant buildings frightens them. They have several accomplished speakers to express their distaste, one being Winston's mother. American-born Jenny Jerome, titled Lady Randolph Churchill. I attended a speech of hers some years ago, after we'd waged a heavy campaign against her son, leaving aside the famous beauty's ugly epithets such as The Shrieking Sisterhood. I think I can recall her most coherent points. Politics is a brutal business, no argument there, and it would be immoral for women with their greater moral sensibilities to be thrust into the fight. Elections are ruthless to the participants, but statesmen must sharpen their skills against one another so as to defeat opponents through diplomacy and, when necessary, warfare. I interjected. Women suffer the effects of men's wars. Ought we not to have a say in preventing them? And if we have more love for decency than men, is not that an argument for getting into politics? Women's precious gifts in mediation Compassion and the nurturance of society will become ruined by carrying the burdens of power. The hand that wields the sword becomes calloused in the fray. Heavens! The spectacle of a privileged woman raising her voice... Her educated voice to argue that other women should not be entitled to theirs is so repulsive I can hardly spend my breath to refute it. But some women take refuge in the anti-campaign's appeal to femininity propaganda to avoid their full citizenship responsibilities. An old school chum from Manchester said, I, for one, Emmeline, am grateful to let the man hash out the laws for me. What a
0: tedious business that must be. And she swished off. The more I think about it, the more I think that this gender battle is a... Uh, a sex battle. I, I don't quite know what
2: I mean, but that it has to do somehow, with the actual act of coupling and uh, instinct, those obscure feelings Mill was referring to. Surely that is what is behind the vitriol in most anti-suffrage rhetoric. Take, for example, the fighting words of Sir Dr. Almroth Wright.
1: Emlin gets her cane and a newspaper speaking as right.
2: The mind of woman is always threatened by her physiological emergencies. She has a tendency to morally warp when nervously ill. Thus, there is mixed up with the women's movement much mental disorder. Uh, This is from his exhausting letter to the Times, March a year ago. He says that militant suffragists are women who have all their life long been strangers to joy, women in whom instincts long suppressed have, in the end, broken into flame. These are the sexually embittered women in whom everything has turned to gall and bitterness of heart and hatred of men. This drivel runs 3,000 words. What is seething in their minds is that woman has suffered all manner of indignity and injustice at the hands of man. Impossible to challenge that. Is it any wonder if men feel that they have had enough of the militant suffragist and that the states would be well rid of her if she were crushed under the soldiers' shields like the traitor woman at the Tarpeian rock of Rome? And yet
0: peace will
2: come again. It will come when woman ceases to teach all manner of evil of man, despitefully. It will come when she ceases to impute to him as a crime her own natural disabilities. When she ceases to resent the fact that man cannot and does not wish to work side by side with her. And peace will return when every woman comes to recognize that she can give a willing subordination to the husband or father who, when all is said and done,
0: lays up money for her. He pays we obey, right? Well, although this
2: terrible treatise was immediately reprinted in the Spectator magazine, Wright's Wrongs did not go entirely unanswered.
1: Emily picks up a different newspaper.
2: To the editor of the Times two days later. <clears throat> Sir, After reading Sir Almroth Wright's weighty exposition of women as he knows them, the question seems no longer to be, should women have votes, but ought women not to be abolished altogether? We learn that women are unbalanced. They suffer from unreasonableness and hypersensitiveness, and that their presence is distracting and irritating to men and in a profession they make undesirable partners for their male colleagues. Later in life, they are subject to lengthy and grave mental disorders, and many, if not quite insane, have to be shut up. Now, this being so, how much happier and better would the world not be if only it could be purged of women? It is here that we look to the great scientists. Women, no doubt, have had their uses in the past. How else could this detestable tribe have been tolerated till now? But is it quite certain that they will be indispensable in the future? Cannot science give us some assurance, or or at least hope, that we are on the eve of the greatest discovery? how to maintain a race of males by purely scientific means. And may we not look to Sir Dr. Almroth Wright to crown his many medical achievements by delivering mankind from the parasitic, demented and immoral species which has infested the world for so long.'
0: Yours, obediently, C.S.C., one of the doomed. Care to guess the identity of C.S.C.?
2: None other than Clementine Spencer Churchill. (laughs) She could not hide her wit from her friends. So there you have it. His mother says no. His wife says yes. Can you wonder the poor man's head spins? Churchill is indirectly, or or perhaps I should say partly,
0: responsible for my sister's death. She was arrested on Black Friday, sentenced for window breaking, and forcibly fed. Her body was destroyed. We have arrived at the topic I've been dreading. I would so
2: much rather tell you who, where, when, how, and especially why, than dwell on this most terrible what that we've had to endure. I'm sure American newspapers describe our spectacle of woman on the rack with lurid fascination. Perhaps that's the only thing widely known about our struggle. Votes for
0: women. Torture to get it. I mean to be very
2: clear. Our only tool of escape from criminal containment is to exaggerate the weakness of our bodies by refusing to eat. The first suffragette to hunger strike was Marion Wallace Dunlop, a famous illustrator. She was guilty of nothing more than good citizenship, printing a passage from our Bill of Rights on a wall in the House of Commons. It is the right of the subject to petition the king, and all imprisonments and prosecutions for such petitioning are illegal. Once locked up for her impertinence, she demanded political prisoner status, then refused food when this was denied. The WSPU had nothing to do with her decision, but we were inspired to emulate it. Others went on hunger strike, including the Americans Lucy Burns and Alice Paul, who had joined our cause to learn militancy. Now, pardon me. But if you have never refused food for several days, much less until you are on death's door, you have no idea how that feels. There are dreadful physical effects.
1: She moves to the lectern.
2: Many times I have seen men smile when they hear the words, hunger strike. And yet I think there are very few men today who would be prepared to adopt a hunger strike for any cause. It is only people who feel an intolerable sense of oppression who would adopt a means of that kind. And so the government, to their eternal shame, imposed an unspeakable remedy for their own powerlessness. Violent, forcible feeding. There may be doctors in this meeting. If so, they know it is one thing to feed by force an insane person or a patient who has some form of illness which makes it necessary. But it is quite another thing to feed a sane, resisting human being who resists this outrage with every nerve and fibre. Now the government thought they had crushed us, but they found that it did not quell the agitation and that more and more women came in and even passed that terrible ordeal and that they were not able, with all their forcible feeding, to make the women serve out their unjust
0: sentences. They had to let them go. You know, we are accused of attempting martyrdom It is not so.
2: We simply refuse, with the only means available, our bodies, to agree that our campaign of breaking things amounts to a character defect and not
0: a political struggle. You don't know, and I don't want to tell
2: you how this is done. yet. We all
0: must pay our respects.
1: She sits.
0: Well, uh, um, a a person is obviously restrained. And uh,
2: there are two methods, a tube up the nose or a tube down the throat. The one up the nose can
0: easily get into the lungs and cause pneumonia or pleurisy. And, uh, well, where is that manuscript? Ah, ah, here.
1: Emmeline finds a manuscript and a small Bible with a letter in it.
2: This is an account by Lady Constance Lytton when she was in a Liverpool jail. She called herself Jane Wharton, a working woman, to disguise her rank. Being in the punishment cells, I was made to lie on the plank bed. Two of the women officers took hold of my arms. One held my head and one my feet. The doctor leaned on my knees as he stooped over my chest to get at my mouth. I clenched my teeth. The sense of being overpowered was complete, but I resisted nothing except with my mouth. The doctor offered me the choice of a wooden or steel gag. He explained that the steel gag would hurt and the wooden one would not, and he urged me not to force him to use the steel one. But then he did. The pain of it was intense. He got the gag between my teeth and proceeded to turn it much more than necessary until my jaws were fastened wide apart, far more than they could go naturally. Then he put down my throat a tube, which seemed to me much too wide and was something like four feet long.
0: I choked the moment it touched my throat. Then the food was poured in. It made me sick a few seconds after. And the action of the
2: sickness made my body and legs double up. But the wardresses instantly pressed back my head and the doctor leaned on my knees.
0: The horror of it was more than I can describe. She goes on. I had been sick over my hair, all over the wall near my
2: bed, and my clothes seemed to saturate it with vomit. When the ghastly process was over and all quiet, I tapped on the wall and called out at the top of my voice, which wasn't much just then, "'No, surrender!' And there came the answer, past any doubt, in my friend Elsie's voice.
0: No, surrender!
1: Emmeline removes the letter from the Bible and continues.
0: My
2: daughter writes, I felt I should go mad like a poor wild thing caught in a steel trap. I was tugging at my head to get it free. I felt the steel instrument pressing against my gums, cutting the flesh, forcing
0: its way in. It felt like having my teeth drawn. But I resisted. I resisted. I was unconscious of anything but a mad
2: revolt of struggling. Then at last I heard them say,
0: that's all. Day after day, morning and evening, it was the same. Often I had a
2: wild longing to scream, and after they had gone, I
0: used to cry terribly, uncontrollably. <laughs> She says, infinitely worse than any
2: pain was the sense of degradation, the repeated outrage breaking down one's self-control.
0: Sylvia published her nightmare two months ago in McClure's magazine, expressing
2: concern for the human beings by whom she was tortured since... They play their parts under fear
0: of dismissal and come to the task with loathing and pity. There's my girl. Ask with that beast is on notice.
2: The Lancet Medical Journal condemns this practice as unworthy of civilization. A memorandum signed by a 116 prominent physicians was given to the Prime Minister, protesting its grave dangers. One surgeon wrote to the Times that it was a foul libel to term such brutality hospital treatment. And lest there be any confusion about the purpose of this torture, there's been a report that in Scotland, one doctor has devised a method for feeding up the same passage from which food waste
0: evacuates. It's punishment. It's rape. Last year, they
2: threatened to force-feed me, but I brandished the massive water jug over my head. If any of you dare so much as to take one step inside
0: this cell, I shall defend myself. They muttered tomorrow, but never returned,
2: the cowards.
0: My Sylvia
2: has been subjected to this horror more than nearly any
0: other suffragette, I am sure, to punish me. We shall go from prison to citizenship. Say the banners in our marches. Is it any wonder we give them medals for valor? My God, what we ask is so simple. We are not trying to
2: uncouple a colony. We only want to say in making the laws we are supposed to obey. Nor do we wish to change Britain's system of government. Parliament, obstinate as it is, is a good system.
0: So why are we failing? I stand up in every address and say that we
2: are winning, that we can win. I have a paragraph relating that people, mostly men, frequently say they don't support us only because we cannot win. We are the weaker sex. We must care for children. We have little money and so on.
0: I refute them. I point out...
1: She moves to the lectern.
0: I point out that
2: unlike every other kind of conflict... In a women's revolution, the government does not know who the enemy is. You cannot tell simply by looking. When an Englishman's daughters go out to post a letter, their father cannot tell if they went to make a tennis engagement or to put some corrosive matter in the pillar box to burn up the mail. We wear no mark. We belong to every class of the community, from the highest to the lowest. The dear men of my country are discovering that a women's civil war is impossible to deal with. You cannot locate it, and you cannot stop it. We have brought the government of England to this position, that it has to face this alternative. Either women are to be killed or women are to have the vote. Freedom or death. I ask American men in this meeting, what would you say if you were faced with that alternative, that you must either kill them or give them their citizenship?
0: Of course, there is only one answer. We've got them on the run.
2: So much so that even cabinet ministers are being consumed by this unprecedented dilemma. Home Secretary McKenna himself says, The criminals, Mrs. Pankhurst and her friends, find so many sympathizers among the well-to-do and respectable classes that the ordinary enforcement of the law is rendered impossible. And Cat and Mouse McKenna has stated on record, In my judgment, these women are prepared to die if not released. And far from putting an end to militancy, a suffragist martyrdom would be the greatest incentive to militancy that could ever happen. (laughs) I think not, sir. These are mere hooligan women. No, sir. I have much more to do with them than the Honourable Member. I do not speak in admiration. They are hysterical. Fanatics. But they have a courage which stands at nothing. Those who glibly say, let them die, fail to realize that public indignation would recoil on the government.
0: Exactly. Disastrous. To die for obstructing traffic.
2: I call the current Home Secretary, Cat and Mouse McKenna, because he's responsible for the most vicious legislation that has yet been enacted to repress us, the Cat and Mouse Act. Being a humane man, he says, he wanted some means to counteract the hunger strike other than forcible feeding. Since I cannot retain these prisoners without serious risk of death, And let me say, I could never carry through that policy. I want the power to compel a prisoner to undergo the sentence. McKenna prevailed. So, under this act, when a prisoner hunger strikes and is in danger of dying, she is released to recover her health, and then recaptured, to serve more time. And so the catch and release goes on interminably, with women moving hideously from hunger strike to hospital and back again. The idea being to gradually break the body and the will. Any permanent incapacitation is acceptable, so long as she does not die in prison. I am just recovering from my third capture since April and shall surely be rearrested the moment I set foot on English soil. I barely eluded my captors to arrive here. Leave it to brave Sylvia to show us the next step. Determined to shorten her unjust sentence, she paced to the point of exhaustion. A sleep strike. At her next imprisonment, she refused water. Now that, my friends, is a whole other level of extremity. The pains are agonizing. To this, she added the sleep strike, moving from spells of fainting to staggering about her cell and
0: fainting again. It was effective. She was released soon after. At 31, I know she will recover. I, however, will not. I said agonizing pains because I... These occurred for me. A thirst strike will shock a prison doctor with fright. I am not sure
2: I can properly convey the effect of days spent without a single drop of water taken into the system. The body cannot endure it and cries out with every nerve. The muscles waste, the skin becomes shrunken and flabby, facial appearance alters. The eyes grow bloodshot. Your tongue swells horribly. With every natural function suspended, the body mummifies. Headache, nausea, fever, shivers. These are the least of the damage that is done to the organs when toxins fester
0: inside. I was released. After the third day. This
2: same indescribable death's door drama played out for me twice
0: last summer. I have liver damage. Jaundice. A slightly gilded hue. I have been called radical countless times and wear the badge with honour.
2: But the thirst strike, which I am told many women are now adopting, is perhaps a bridge too far. Women are prepared to lay down their lives for this cause. McKenna says that for every woman who dies in
0: prison, scores more would come forward to take their place. So true. The question is, am I prepared to allow
2: it? I stood on stage at the Albert Hall exactly a year ago. I incite this meeting to rebellion. I accept the responsibility for
0: everything you do. I accept responsibility. Can I accept it for this? Death in battle is one thing. Slow ruin, lingering
2: pain, to be maimed for life. They already accuse us of fanaticism, hysteria.
0: Would we deserve the charge of madness? What would you do? I would talk it over with Christabel.
2: But our general has stayed behind the lines. She must. She must. My darling has a brilliant mind, but not the life experience to
0: decide this. War looks different from the trenches. There has to be. Another way. You know, in every speech I give, I ask the audience
2: if there comes into the mind of any man or woman some better plan for getting what we want, I would be grateful if that
0: person would tell me the remedy. Any man. I must
2: beg your pardon, if I've made it sound as though this is a gender war without male allies. When Mr. Asquith murmured to the house in his suave, mendacious manner, "'There is not one single prisoner who cannot go out of prison this afternoon "'if she would only pledge to give up militancy.' Labour MP George Lansbury sprang to his feet. "'You know they cannot! "'That was a disgraceful thing for you to say, sir. "'You are beneath contempt, you and your colleagues.' "'Asquith stood unmoved, typically silent. "'Lansbury strode down the aisle and shook his fist. "'You murder, torture, and drive women mad, "'and then you tell them they can walk out?' You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You talk of principle. These women are showing you what principle is. You ought to honor them. I tell you, Commons of England, you should be ashamed of yourselves. He was banished for the remainder of the day to cool off. Another MP declared that since the government was so unashamed, a visual representation of forcible feeding ought to be on display in Madame Tussaud's waxworks. <laughs> and Keir Hardy can certainly light them up on our behalf. The half-angel, half-idiot period is over in the woman's world. It is a new day now in the debate the change we and our supportive house members have wrought is to turn the discussion from snickers and jeers lampooning women having the vote to a request for cogent argument explaining why we should not the question would have been stuck another 10 years without the pressure of our sacrifice
1: she stands at the lectern.
2: Such is the whole history of politics. You have to make more noise than anybody else. You have to make yourself more obtrusive than anybody else. You have to fill all the papers more than anybody else. In fact, you have to be there all the time and see that they do not snow you under if you are really going to get your reform realized. They have said to us, Government, Government, rests upon force, and that women haven't force, so they must submit. Well, we are showing them, by our resistance, that government does not rest upon force at all. It rests upon consent. So long as women consent to be unjustly governed, they can be. But directly women say, we withhold our consent, We will not be governed any longer, so long as that government is unjust. Then not even by the brutal forces of civil war can you govern the very weakest
0: woman. You can kill that woman. But she escapes you then. You cannot govern her.
2: No power on earth can govern a human being, however feeble, who withholds his or her consent.
0: (laughs) We did not invent these ideas. Rebellion in the face of servitude
2: has been at the heart of all human progress. It is the subject of Magna Carta, of the English Civil War, the American Revolution, the American Civil War, and the Emancipation Proclamation and of all the serfdom and suffrage reforms of the last century. And with so much injustice and oppression throughout the world, our fight shall surely not be the last. But we women, the underclass in our society, however high your birth, with inadequate rights to our citizenship, our earnings, our property, and worst, the lack of rights to our children and our very person, our bodies. We are the first to lead this battle for ourselves. If we have privileged champions, they are our guests and comrades, not our masters. Women are very slow to rouse, but once they are aroused, once they are determined... Nothing on earth and nothing in heaven will make women give way.
0: It is impossible. And that is why we are destined to prevail. Damn. Oh, damn. The speech will raise money. And that is what it is supposed to do. We may be destined to prevail, but I'll be damned if I know when. (sighs) Every avenue has been closed. Petitioning,
2: legislation, appeals to the church... Now we set fire to bigger targets, and there's been a backlash. What would you say, you gracious, sympathetic Americans, if women burned down the train station in your neighborhood,
0: even in a noble cause? Would you write me a check? It's become personal. This is a civil war. Today in parliament, politicians
2: ruminate their four desperate choices.
0: Let us die in prison. Declare us insane. Deport us or give us the vote.
2: The latter is resisted because they say that would
0: reward our violent Militancy, hooligan women.
2: What's that new line by David Lloyd George? Christabel had a telegram, a report from Parliament. Uh, where? Ah, here. Um, uh. uh, uh
1: she reads. Uh,
2: Can't they see the very worst way of campaigning for the vote is to try and intimidate a man into giving them what he would gladly give otherwise?
0: Uh, What does that mean, Richard? Gladly give. Asquith and his cronies
2: won't gladly give us anything.
1: She drops the telegram and picks up Richard's picture.
2: My husband authored the first suffrage bill
0: nearly 40 years ago. So long. Why? She holds Richard's picture, eyes closed. We're making war upon ourselves. What? That's why the damage isn't working. We're making war. On ourselves.
2: Christabel says we must conquer. But we cannot simply conquer and withdraw. That's what's different about this civil war. The colonial has no love for the conqueror. And the master seldom befriends the slave. But men and women, we're always
0: together. And we'll always be together. My God, it's so
2: glaringly obvious, it's become impossible to see. I know why I
0: feel it comes down to sex. We're part of each other. We act like we think
2: we can live without them, but men know they cannot live without us. They're afraid. They're afraid our independence means they'll lose us that we'll never fight on the same team again. Oh, no! Of course we will! We may have been treated
0: abominably, but, but that will change. Will we hold a grudge? Well, some women may, but that narrow vision would be our ruin. No. We
2: are part Of each other, men and women. We are the parents of a new world, together. And no future government will repeat the mistakes
0: of the Asquith Ministry. That's it. We love each other, and we'd better go back to loving each other. There's a frenzy in the air. Can you feel it?
2: A great wind is sweeping over Europe, and if we don't unite, if we don't stand here
0: together, we may dream of freedom, but we shall have death. Well, Thank you, my friends. You have
2: been an immense help. Uh, Now, uh, if you will excuse me, I have a meeting to... uh, No, I must go. Uh, I must send a telegram. Uh, There's a lot to change. Uh,
0: And I'll see you all next month in Hartford. End of play. This has been a production of Play for Keeps. Thank you for joining us.